0: All right, now before we begin, to make sure everyone stays engaged, I want to do something we, uh, we've done before. I think you guys have got it down right now. I'm going to say, get it? God. Good. Okay, got it. Let's do it one more time. Get it? God. Good. All right, this is good. All right, last week, we talked about the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. We talked about who is Jesus. What does the Bible have to say about who Jesus Christ is? We've talked a lot about God and the existence of God and is God real and we've walked through all that. Now we're talking about who that God truly is and his son Jesus Christ. We did it last week, we're coming back to it this week. Now we've talked about who Jesus is and what the Bible says about him, but some would challenge the validity of the Bible and its claim of Jesus' divine authority. That Jesus was God and that he has divine authority. Specifically that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was accurate or trustworthy. You know, can we really trust that the resurrection story, that what Jesus said about himself and, and what, the, what, what went on is truly what Jesus truly was like and how he lived and what he said? They would say that it's just merely mythology. It's mythological concepts developed over a long period of time as legend corrupted the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. You know, over time, you know, it's like a bad game of telephone. You know what I'm saying? That's what they're basically saying. But over time, it was passed down from one person to another person to another person. And so what we have today, what you and I believe today is just myth, is myth and legend just passed down, kind of warped from what Jesus really taught uh, in his life. So how valid is this criticism? This is important because as you're, sharing, as you're sharing the love of Christ with someone, as you're sharing your faith and try to explain things, what they're going to say is, well, ah, the Bible's not even true. Written by a g- bunch of people. You don't even know who they are. And it's, you know, I question even who wrote it. And, and uh, it was written so long after Jesus was, was gone or his life that there's no real validity to it. So when you reference back to the Bible, eh, it's just not doing it for me. It's, ex- it's extremely important that you and I understand that the Bible is true, and it's important that we understand how to relate that, those truths, and the, and, and the, the historicity of the Bible to other people, okay? Um, so how valid is the criticism? I think one of the best ways to answer the question is to look at other historical figures for comparison. If if they're saying, well, you know, how can we know that what Jesus said was true was so long after and yada yada. So let's look at some other historical figures um, and see and have some comparison. The two earliest biographies of Alexander the Great were written 400 years after he was dead in 323 B.C. 400 years after he was gone. But I'll tell you the truth. You look at this up. Historically, uh, the historians would say that they're accurate. Those are accurate. Those are acceptable. Those are historically acceptable because they were written within 500 years of Alexander the Great. So they wouldn't be questioned. They wouldn't be questioned. Um, other legendary material written about Alexander the Great kind of surfaced you know, but over the centuries, but not before those two biographies were written. So you have some legendary material coming up, but not before those two biographies were written. So for 500 years, historians would say that, that Alexander's story was pretty much kept intact. It's pretty it's accurate, it's pretty accurate, it's pretty much kept intact. The mythology of Alexander crept into being 500 years after. So you had the first 500 years, pretty, pretty accurate, but then you have myth and legend creeping in 500 years, the next 500 years. Then they would question some of those stories. Now, keep that in mind historically as we move forward here over the next few minutes. Keep those those thoughts in mind. 500 years, Alexander, no problem whatsoever. Now, let me start with the the authors of the Gospels because uh, we're going to be talking about, we're going to be discussing, it fits into our discussion this morning, the authenticity of the authors of the Gospels. I hear people all the time challenge this. They say that, you know, it's not really valid you can't they challenge the validity of the gospel writers but you they ask why but why would why would they do that what would be the motivation for someone to to come up with these names if it weren't true what would be the motivation for anyone to kind of throw the names that we have out there for the four gospels if it weren't true according to dr craig bloomberg who is recognized as one of the country's foremost authorities on the biographies of Jesus Christ, his answer is there's no motivation at all. There'd be no motivation at all. And you say, well, why would there be no motivation? Because the writers were uh, were a very unlikely group of people, okay? These were a very unlikely group, a very kind of a different kind of group of people. For example, Matthew. Remember who Matthew was? Matthew was a tax collector, okay? Matthew was not one of those guys who was loved and revered and respected in his community. Matthew was a former tax collector. So you have this former tax collector writing one of the gospels. Uh, My friends, unless you you, uh, have something wrong with you, if you're trying to fake someone out, you don't use, it's like, okay, let's have Matthew, the tax collector, write one of the gospels, and let's have Joe, the murderer, write the other one, okay? He's loved in the community, totally respected. They'll really go for this, Okay, Matthew was a tax collector. Luke and Mark weren't even one of the 12 disciples. So you have Matthew, who was, but you have Luke and Mark who were not one of the 12 disciples. So, again, Paul calls Luke. Let me just read you. Paul calls Luke. If you where does Luke fit in? Luke is called in Colossians 4.14 by Paul, our dear friend and doctor. So they're close. Paul and, uh, Paul and Luke were very close. Luke followed Paul around kind of writing down everything and, and, and remembering everything that Paul was saying. So they were extremely close. The point is, if you're trying to build credibility, you would not lie and use these men to do it. If that was your purpose, to build some credibility by what you're saying about your religion, we're trying to build this religion and fake some people out, you're not going to use these men to do it. What would be your motivation to use these names unless it were true? And historians, Bible scholars, will sit there and say there's no, there's no motivation to use these names unless it were true, unless it were true. It's the same as the Bible saying that women were the first ones to see the stone rolled away. I mean, that, my friends, that would make absolutely positively no sense to say that women were the first eyewitnesses to see the stone rolled away because women, their, their testimony had no credibility in this, at this time, in this culture. So to say that women were the first ones to see it would make absolutely no sense unless it were true unless it were true. They're the first ones to see it. I mean, you could, you could almost see them at that time when they're, as they're writing, think, you know, well, maybe we, no, they weren't doing this, but I'm just saying, you could, if you're going to talk about someone making something up or faking something, you'd be like, well, they didn't really see it first, you know, you know, they, he saw it first, and then he told them, they were right after. If you're trying to fake someone out, you don't use women in this culture to say they saw something first, because their testimony would not be credible uh, to those around them. Now, to me, this is just now, let's take a step over here for a second. To me, personally, it would make a lot of sense for God to have the women see it first. Because if you had the men see it first, just go with me for a second on this one. If you ask the men, you know, what, what happened? <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> the man would the man be like, uh, I walked there and he was gone. And you know, everybody's like, come on, give me. it's like asking your kid, how is school? You know, fine. You know, that's it. That's all you're going to get. Now, if you ask a woman who was there first what happened, it's a totally different story, right? Well, I got up early in the morning. I think it was about this size. I I did this. I did a few things, and then... And then I was deciding, should I wear black, all black? Or should I put some color into it? Because Jesus did die and everything. And then she'd go off and she, she would start walking and, and, uh, and, and she would say, oh, it was, oh, nice, nice. As I started walking, it was kind of a breeze and it was wispy clouds going by. And the breeze made me a little cold, so I took my shawl. You know the shawl that you got me last year for Yom Kippur? It was real. I love that shawl. It's really nice. And I walked and I walked and I walked. And as I went along, I'll tell you what, I was so glad I wore my new sandals. You know, one of the arches, the, the arch because that's a long long walk when you're trying to walk all that way up the rocks and down the rocks and around the little corner and when i got there the stone you know that really big stone that the romans we saw him roll it in the way you know that one roman you know the one with the beady eyes he had like one eye that was brown the other eye was kind of brown and hazel one of his right ear was lower than his left ear you know that guy he was rude to me he really was when they rolled the stone you know what he said to me after they rolled the stone in the way he was so rude you know and if, if i looked like him i wouldn't be rude i would just be as nice as i could to anyone i could right? And they go through and they give you all the details, all the details. Now, that has, now you're looking at your Bible, where is that? I didn't see that. I've never seen that in the accounts. It's not. I made the whole thing up just to make a point to make you laugh. Okay. Um, so, do, you have any, do we have any ancient writings? Do we have any, any ancient writings that shed light on the subject of, of authorship? It's important. You go back as far as you can. And, and are, there, are there any ancient writings that we can draw from that shed some light on who the authors were. Well, in A.D. 180, Irenaeus confirmed their authorship. He wrote this, Matthew published his own gospel among the Hebrews in their own language when Peter and Paul were preaching the gospel in Rome and founding the church there. After their departure, Mark, the disciple and interpreter of Peter, himself handed down to us in writing the substance of Peter's preaching. Luke the follower of Paul set down in a book the gospel preached by his teacher. Then John, the disciple of the Lord, who also leaned on his breast, himself produced his gospel while he was living in Ephesus in Asia. Okay, so we have this, what will be the point of trying to change their names? No point whatsoever. There's no motivation to do it. If, you know, if you're going to put some names in there, they're not the names you want to use in ancient times. So that, that's a- off the side there. And then we have, some, we have some ancient writings that pretty much lay out who the writers were. Now, you can argue with this, but that's how you, dis- that's how you put things in place when you're looking at history. Do you have writings that, that substantiate um, what you have existing? And it's substantiated. So we don't need to question the authorship, but what about the timing? Which is our big issue this morning. What about the timing? The timing. You know, because you think about it. This is what this is. How how could the gospels possibly be accurate when they were written so long? I'm being sarcastic. So long after Jesus' life. It's the timing. That's that's the issue here. How could they be accurate? Couldn't be accurate. Game of telephone. It uh, happened so long after. Well, let's break it down a little bit. Even in the most liberal circles, the most liberal circles, Mark would be dated in, in the 70s. We're talking A.D., 70s. Okay, then you would have Matthew and Luke in the 80s and 90s. So A.D., so keep the A.D. in your mind. So you have 70s, 80s, and 90s. Those, those, were, the, those were liberals, okay, liberal scholars who would try to show that, you know, look, it's passed down so long from person to person, not accurate. First, two points, two quick points, if we even stuck with those dates. Two points. These dates are within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. Those dates are still within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. People who saw the resurrection, they were there, who saw the resurrection, would still be alive at that time, including hostile witnesses. The hostile witnesses would still be alive at the same time, and they would love nothing more than to point out the false information being propagated by Jesus' followers. So you would have all kinds of arguments going on, that they, hey, I was there, I saw it, that's not true. These, these people would still be alive. So you have eyewitnesses would still be alive, those who saw Jesus resurrected, and anyone who chose to be a critic or someone who was opposed, they'd still be there, and they could argue any points that they saw were not valid. Second, these dates, even if we agree on their accuracy, are still not late when compared to other reliable, acceptable accounts. I refer you back to Alexander the Great. Well, oh, I didn't think it was so great. But Alexander, okay, 323 B.C., 400 years after he was dead. You have the biographies totally accepted by historians as accurate. So whether the Gospels were written 30 years or 60 years after Christ's life, they, they are, they are the, the amount of time that we're talking about here is insignificant by comparison. According to historians, this would not be much of a problem. This would, this would be a, a non-issue. If you're talking just history with me here, this is a non-issue. The fact that it was 30 years or 60 years after the resurrection would be, from a historical standpoint, would be a non-non-issue. Get it? No, that's not good. Get it? Good. Okay. Now, I don't want to leave the dates where they are at AD 70 to 90. I don't want to leave them there because I don't agree that they're accurate. Those dates are often given by skeptics and liberal scholars who want to make the point that they're written so far after that they're not credible. They're so far after Christ's life, they're just not credible. So, you know, when you have someone who's trying to make a point, they come in with a presupposition, and then they try to lay these dates out, we're not going to hold on to those dates. Though I have just described that there was, people still would be alive, they would be still, from a historical standpoint, it would still be considered accurate. But we're not sticking with those dates, because I don't think they're reliable. Um, we can start... By dating, by looking at the book of Acts, okay? We're going to look at the book of Acts for the dating issue. Let me follow Dr. Bloomberg's logic, and you're going to love this, okay, if you're a nerd like me, all right? you Get your pens out. You have to write these dates down because you're thinking, oh, dates. you got to be kidding. I come to church. He's going to give me a history lesson. This is so important. Write all these dates down as best you can. There's a pen in front there right on the back of your bulletin because you're going to be asked at some point when you open your mouth to talk about Jesus, oh, the Bible's not even reliable. The Bible was written so long after, and these guys weren't even the guys who wrote it. Write all this stuff down because that's going to happen to you, and there's nothing like being able to say, well, that's not really true. Bing, 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 bing. You know what I mean? They're like, wow, wait a second. This person actually knows what they're talking about. I should actually listen to them. So write these dates down, okay? Especially if you're a nerd like me, because I really like this kind of stuff. Okay, Acts was written by Luke, okay? It was written by Luke. And Acts, the book of Acts was ended unfinished. Paul is in, uh, Paul's under house arrest in Rome, and the book of Acts ends. So the question remains, what happened to Paul? I mean, remember how close Paul and Luke are. I mean, my my good friend, my doctor. So Luke is extremely close to Paul. They're very, very, very intimately connected. See, we don't get an answer what happened to Paul from the book of Acts because most likely the book was written before Luke's good friend Paul was put to death. Or else, would, why would why would Luke not write and tell us what happened to Paul? I think that's fair. So we have the we have the book of Acts. So so you're thinking, well, who cares? I mean, what so. Again, that, what does that mean to me? Well, if that's the case, what that means is the book of Acts cannot be dated any, any later than A.D. 63, okay? So that's our starting date, A.D. 63, A.D. 63. So with that in mind, with that as our starting point, let's see how far we can move back from here. How far can we go back? If the book of Acts is a two-part work, the first part being uh, Luke's, uh, Luke's gospel, you have the first part being Luke's gospel. If there are two-part work, that means that w- that would have been written earlier than 63 AD, AD 63. So Luke would be earlier than 63 AD. And we know that Luke incorporates part of Mark's gospel so that we can easily say, without much argument, that, 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 that uh, Mark's gospel would be, would be earlier uh, than that. So then if we take, if we give, say, we, we, we allow for, say, a year for each of those we end with a date for mark written bef- uh, would be written before in say AD 61 or even the late 50s AD late 50s so you've got dates for mark between AD 58 59 and 61 all right so you got you know you got a 3 year deal there i'll give you th- we'll give 3 years a- late late 50s to 61 for mark all right so that's where we are now if jesus was crucified you, you, you got good math minds here, if Jesus was crucified somewhere around AD 30 to 33 for this crucifixion, now you're going to, whatever you read, you'll read different books, you'll read different things, and they're going to, some people will argue AD 30, AD 33, so I'll just say AD 30 to 33, um, then you're looking at a gap, think about this, you're looking at a gap of no more than 30 years Okay, you take the 58 to 61, Jesus is crucified, AD 30 to 33, so you're looking at a gap of no more than 30 years, 30 years, seriously, historically, that's like in Britain, it's like saying breaking news, you know, it's like CNN or Fox News coming on, those little tickers at the bottom, breaking news, historically, my friends, 30 years, within 30 years is breaking news, okay, this is accuracy, 30 years, I refer you back to Alexander, 400 years, 323 B.C. 30 years, so we're within 30 years. So let's see if we can go back, we can turn the clock back even further. Um, I want to establish, here's my point. I want us to see how early we we can date the fundamental beliefs of Christianity. Because that's what they're saying, what you and I believe, they're not true. They came about over time, legend and myth. So I wanna see how far back can we date the fundamental beliefs of the church, the Jesus atonement, the deity of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, these are things, how, how we come to Christ through salvation. These are all things that we believe. And the question is, you know, are they accurate? Are we just kind of whistling Dixie here because someone made it up as we went on? How, so let's see how far back we can date the fundamental beliefs of the church. Because remember, again, they're saying these were created myths and legends put in place long after Jesus' life. There's the argument. Okay, so we need to keep in mind that the books of the New Testament are not in chronological order, okay? They're not in chronological order. Just because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John come first in the Bible doesn't mean that they were written first. Almost all of Paul's letters are written before the Gospels, Okay, so Paul's letters are written first. In other words, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John not written first. They were just put in the Bible first. Nothing wrong with that. But from a historical dating standpoint, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are not dated okay, earlier. The, the, Paul's letters are written before. Okay, so we have that before, Paul, all of Paul's letters. Paul probably started writing his letters in the, in the late 40s, 80-40s. Okay, most of his major work appeared in the 50s. Right? So now we're in the we're in the late forties and in the fifties. Here's so again, do the math in your mind again. Jesus crucified AD thirty to thirty three. Now we're in the late forties, in the fifties. So we're, we're the gap is narrowing. So then I kind of get so you get stuck here for a second. You go, okay, that, is that all that we know? So that we stop there. And I could I could stop right there and say to you, from a historical standpoint, accurate as accurate can be. Okay, show me some other at that from that period of time. Show me something stronger historically, and I'll, I'll give it to you. But if we get within that close, that we could stop right there. I don't want to stop right there. Here's the logical question that we need to ask now: Are there signs that Paul uh, used earlier sources in writing some of his letters? Okay. Are there signs that Paul used earlier sources in writing some of his letters? In other words, in other words, did, did he build on existing beliefs of the early church? Did Paul build on, when he was writing his letters to the churches, did he build on earlier beliefs of the church? Okay, of the early church? And the answer is absolutely positively yes. Yes, he did. Paul built on earlier beliefs of the church. We know, we know, we know for a fact that Paul included creeds and included hymns and he included confessions of the faith from from the earliest Christian church. He used those. These would would go back to the very beginning of the church. These creeds would go back to the very beginning, the, the, the genesis of the church, right after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let me share three of those creeds with you. Now, you don't have to be a theologian to you come to church for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. You're gonna gain, you're gonna understand these concepts that Paul lays out. Write these down, write all these down. Uh, the first creed is Philippians chapter two. We get the creed from Philippians chapter two, verses six through eleven. It says this about Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God. Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and every every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father first one a lot of theology in there a lot of early beliefs remember where he got this from paul okay was taking this from the early creeds okay and the beliefs of the early church okay so that's the first one the second one is colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20 it says this He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. And he he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness Dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, or by making peace through his blood shed on the cross again, you don 't have to be a Bible scholar to see the reality that 's what we believe. Paul was receiving this from the early church. Now stop for a moment and think with me for just just a moment. think about this. if you don't believe in God and you want to discredit the, the Christian faith, you 'll throw out dates like. Oh, 70, 80, 90, even beyond. Because then you'd say, well, that, you know, that, that, Jesus never taught this. Jesus never believed that. He never preached this. This, this. this whole thing, all these things came about, This all this mythology came about 60, 70 years long after Jesus was gone. The church came up with these doctrines so far down the road after Jesus Christ was gone. You people believe a bunch of baloney. It was just made up jargon. It was these myths and these legends that came on afterward. The reality is, the reality is, what I just laid out to you, the reality is that the early church had a very clear understanding of who Jesus Christ was. Their Christology was right in line. They knew exactly who he was. They believed who he was. They laid it out. It was all laid out there. Okay, we're not finished. We're not finished there. The most important creed, the most important creed in terms of the historical Jesus comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Write that down. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul, listen, Paul uses very technical language here to let us know that what he was receiving was from the oral tradition of the church. Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 13, is, and you can study this, uses very, very technical language to show that he is passing along this oral tradition of the early church, of what they believed. Oral tradition was extremely important in this culture. You didn't have copy machines. People were running around copying making give me copies. Oral tradition was extremely important here. So Paul then is passing on what the early church believed. What was given to him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 11. Listen to what he says. This is very, very, this is very important. It's very technical when it comes to how he uses the language. He says, for what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. Listen to what, this is what first importance, that he received, didn't, didn't come up with himself. I mean, he knew this, but he didn't come up with it himself, okay? Listen to what he says. This is what he received. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. That he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. You say, well, according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures would be the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. You find that, write this down in Isaiah 53 verses 1 through 9, and Psalm 20, this is just two. I'm just giving you two that are really good to use when you talk to people. Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 9, and and Psalm 22, verses 11 through 18. That's what he's talking about. Not only do we have the doctrines of the church, we have prophecy laid out here as well, showing that the Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And who believed that? He believed it, and the early church believed it. They believed that. He lays it out. He says, according to the scriptures. He goes on to say, then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles and then last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Whether then whether whether then it was, um, whether then it was, it was I or they, listen, listen, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. All right, why is that important? Let's do math again. If Jesus Christ was crucified between early, as early as AD 30, okay, Paul's conversion was around AD 32. Paul then goes to Damascus to meet the, the Christian Ananias and other disciples, okay? Then Paul uh, then Paul goes and meets with the apostles in Jerusalem, which would be around A.D. 35. So we're at A.D. 35. If Jesus Christ was crucified between A.D. 30 and A.D. 33, and we have a date of Paul in, in uh, going to Jerusalem in A.D. 35, um, at some point here, my friends, Paul picks up, Paul picks up this doctrine. Paul picks up this creed, those beliefs, which were already established in the early church and being preached by the early church. So Paul's not making stuff up as he goes. This is something he received, okay, and he's passing on. It was being preached by the early church. That means the foundational beliefs, the deity of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the work of atonement, the plan of redemption, all of all were part of the teachings of the early church as well as a detailed list of those that Jesus appeared to after the resurrection. He's laying it all out. He didn't say 500 people, but, you know, they're so far away. They're over that mountain. You're not going to be able to talk to any of them. He's saying they're still alive. Most of them are still alive. Some have fallen asleep. Most are still alive. And he appeared to this person and this person and this person. And then here's the order he, 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 he appeared to him. This, this isn't some conjured up mythology or legend that happened long after 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years after Jesus Christ was gone. This is, this is, this is historically accurate what I'm laying out to you. This wasn't some mythology or legend that was conjured up 60 years later. You can easily, you can easily make the argument, even if you want to argue with some of my dates within a few years, you can easily make the argument that the doctrine, the church beliefs can be dated to within two or three years of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if 30, if four or five hundred is acceptable historically, 30 is like breaking news, three or four, holy moly, can anybody not remember what happened three or four years ago? Are you confused? If, if something m- massive happened in your life three or four years ago, are you, all co- are you guys all confused at what would have happened three or four years ago? And I'm only using three or four years because those are the dates given me, but they knew three or four months after the resurrection. Historically, the Bible is the most is as accurate as it comes, and nothing even comes close, nothing comes close to the accuracy Okay, the trustworthiness, the legitimacy of the Bible. Believe it or if you don't want to believe the Bible, that's totally up to you. If you don't want to believe there's a God and everything, but don't argue. I mean, it's hard to argue with the historicity. It's hard to argue with the dates that are laid out. Even if you start as late as they would choose, you still work your way back. You're still within a few years of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I understand in the end it all comes down to faith. I totally understand that. But my, faith, it comes, it, my friends, it comes down to faith based upon reliable firsthand accounts. This wasn't a game of telephone, like they want you to believe in college. These were reliable, first-hand accounts. My goal is not this morning is not to eliminate faith from, faith from the equation. My goal is for some of you who have been kind of in the background, not wanting to step forward and, and really believe, because you want to believe that this is true, but you, want, you don't want to commit intellectual suicide here. You really want to believe this is true, and my friends, it is. And what I'm trying to help you see is that if you ask Christ into your life, it isn't some blind leap of faith into the darkness. It's a step of faith. It's a step of faith. And I want to ask you this morning to take that step. I want you to take that step. Last week, 35 people asked Jesus Christ to come into their lives for the first time. When we, when, we, when we laid that out last week, 35 people came forward and asked Christ to come into their lives. You may not have been one of them because you still had some questions in your mind. But here's the thing. It takes faith. You have faith one way or the other. It takes a lot of faith to believe that God's not true and not real. It does. It really does. To believe that nothing created everything takes more faith than believe that God created everything. So you have faith. What I'm asking you this morning is to put that faith in, the, in, in Jesus Christ to put that faith in a real, honest, a real, trustworthy God, and to put your faith in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you again, with what I presented to you this morning, are you willing, are you open to take that step of faith? Let me repeat what Paul wrote. We know that it's it's accurate. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. It's true. It's accurate. It's been a part of the church belief system from the very beginning, and it calls for a response. You can't be, there's no neutral here. It's true. It's accurate. It's been a part of the church uh, from the very beginning, and it calls for a response. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. My friends, if you, if you die once, those who are born once die twice. Think about this. Those who are born once die twice. Those who are born twice die once, and they live for eternity. This morning can be your spiritual birthday you can be re- it's a rebirth this morning a new life starting over it can begin this morning you were born once physically but i'm saying to you we need to be born twice one of those is spiritually and it is a spiritual birth that that really dictates the destiny of our lives both in this life and in the next you can start afresh last week 35 people now have that as their spiritual birthday And this morning, two more people in the first service now have this date as their spiritual birthday. And what I'm saying to you is I want to encourage you by what you've read and what you've heard over the last few months to step out in faith and ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. If you believe that, if you believe what I described this morning and I laid out for you this morning, if you believe what Paul has said from the earliest beginnings of Christianity, I want you to bow your heads with me. Everyone bow your heads with me. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. If you, if you desire to have a relationship with Christ, listen, some of you have been going to church your whole life, but you've been religious. Religion is not the same thing as having a relationship with God. Religion doesn't get you very far. It's all about you. It's all about what I do. Relationship is all about Christ and what he did for me. If you want that relationship with God this morning, pray this with me. Father, I believe your word is true. You don't have to say it out loud, just say it to yourself in your heart and your mind. Father, I believe that your word is true. I believe that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die on a cross for me. You sent him to die on a cross for my sin. That's what the early church believed. That's what they taught. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what's true. I ask Lord God, that you would now adopt me into your family. I want to become a part of your family. That you would take me in as one of your own. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, begin to transform my life even now. I need a new beginning. I need to start over. I need to refresh my life. I need to renew my life. I need that rebirth this morning in you, a spiritual birth. Transform my life even now, God. I love you. I trust you with my future because of the power of your resurrection. I ask these things in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. One of the most important things in our church is that people grow spiritually. I do not want those who have prayed this prayer to be kind of like orphaned now. You go off and you don't really know what the next step is. If you prayed that prayer, just like last week, what I would love you to do is to come forward after the service. I have some books for you. I have some information for you. I'd love you to sign up. Just give me your name and address and all that information so we can keep track and so we can help you in your, in your next steps in your spiritual walk, okay? If you accepted the Lord last week, I would really appreciate it if you would come forward as well after the service and just write your, write your information down because we really want to make sure that you are taking the proper steps, the next steps in your spiritual journey, okay? God has truly been blessing our church. People have been coming to know Christ. There's been growth that's been incredible. The witnessing that's been going on has been amazing. Let's continue, out, continue it throughout this Christmas season. Have a great week.